session on the carbon reduction commitment in big investment. My name is Gareth Pierre, I'm chairing uh, the session, we've been doing uh, very little apart from the introduction, uh, and when we get on to the questions, uh, coordinating that. We have quite a lot of time for questions, so if you could make a note of your, your queries as we go through, uh, it would be great to have a good discussion afterwards. Our presenter this morning is Anthony Day, an environmental management specialising in scenario planning for sustainability, employee engagement, high definition energy profiling. CRC has been a recurring issue at these uh, low carbon best practice events for, for months and years, even years. And just when we thought it was all settling down, the government's comprehensive spending review uh, has thrown it all back up in the air again. So all we can do is make the best of it. So with his ideas and what we can do now, please welcome Anthony Day. All change, all change, all change. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. I've had to change this presentation, of course, because when they first asked me, well, everything was different. We thought we knew where we were. And that slide had a clear blue sky. And then we had, as you all know, the comprehensive spending review. And suddenly the Treasury put its BDI on a billion pounds in the CSR pot and said, revenue recycling? We don't think so. So now, all of us who are full participants are in a scheme where we have to pay to register for the privilege of paying a tax. That's as much as we know, really, because beyond that, hardly anybody knows anything. Not even the uh, Environment Agency, because when I last looked at their website, this is what it said. But having said that, there are people around who seem to have a hotline to the Department of Energy and Climate Change, and they can ring up and they can find out everything that's going on. So I've been looking at all these um, uh, websites, you know, the forums and, uh, and so on, and seeing what I can pick up, and there are a number of things which people say are going to happen. Although it's quite clear that it's all in the melting pot, there are things which are going to change. But we can be fairly certain that, no, we will not be buying allowances in April 2011. We will now be buying allowances sometime in 2012. And there is a change, of course, insofar as when we buy it in 2012, we'll buy it for the year just ended. Whereas the plan was to buy it in 2011 for the year just starting. And then when we came round to the end of that year and we had to surrender our allowances, we would have to buy up the shortfall through the safety valve mechanism or on the open market, or we'd have to sell any surplus. Now we just buy for what we know we've actually used. So it makes it much, much simpler. And we assume we'll buy it at £12 a tonne in the first year. But beyond that, who knows? All these things have got to be uh, confirmed and um, we, we can only wait. Revenue recycling. I put that in because, in fact, I've got quite an attachment to that. Two months ago, I spent a long time doing a detailed study and analysis of exactly how that worked. That's the um, table from the, uh, uh, from the Environment Agency. What a waste of time. <laughs> and to be perfectly honest, a lot of people like yourselves, like advisors like me, have put in a tremendous amount of work in dealing with the Environment Agency, trying to understand how this was going to work, helping them clear up anomalies and make it into a robust system. So I think a lot of people are feeling very miffed, and I've heard words a lot stronger than that. Okay, so we're not going to have any revenue recycling, but it looks as though the two columns on there which refer to the performance league table are still relevant. 
it looks as though we will still have a performance league table and it'll be based in the first year on the early action metric and in subsequent years on the absolute metric and the growth metric. But a lot of people are saying it's a red herring, which I thought it was earlier in the year. And the reason that I thought that the league table was a red herring was simply financial. I was saying, look at this. If you are actually on the, the lower threshold and you've got 600 megawatt hours, six, sorry, 6,000 megawatt hours, and you're buying it at 10p a unit, and by the way, if you're spending more than that, I think I know somebody who can help you, you'd be spending 600,000 pounds, okay? And looking at it another way, if you convert that 6,000 megawatt hours by the approved table uh, um, rate, then that's 3,246 tonnes. And if you then go and buy that 3,246 tonnes at £12 a tonne, that's 38,952, which was your cost of allowances. But of course, at that time, that was not your exposure, except for a short period before they paid it all back again. Your maximum exposure, if you were right down the bottom of the performance league table, was that you'd have to pay in the first year 10% of that amount, which in turn was less than 1% of 600,000. So my point at, th at that stage was the league table is irrelevant because the penalties are so small. Now people are saying that the league table is irrelevant because there's no penalty at all. But when I first put this point forward that it was a red herring, people said, absolutely not. No, it's very important from a reputational point of view. So if it was important then with a very small financial penalty from a reputational point of view, I believe it still is, even though there is no financial implication. Not directly, anyway. The question is, can you afford to be second? And I'm quite sure that all the supermarkets are watching each other and seeing who is going to come higher up that league. And I'm equally sure that the local authorities will do that, and hospitals will do that, and no doubt organisations within your industries will do that. And if they're way up and ahead of the, uh, everybody else, they're certainly going to make a lot of fuss about it. So I do think that the performance league table is important. The next page is the one after that. Of course, what I've said earlier on is that uh, it depends on the price of carbon. We were talking about uh, this amount of money, which is about 6.5% of the average energy bill, but that is based on £12 a tonne. And for future years, I don't know. Is the government going to base it on the market price? The market price at present is about 15 euros, which is about 12 pounds. In the future, it could be in 2020, it could be 30 pounds. In 2040, in 2030, it could be 70 pounds. In 2040, it could be 140 pounds. In 2050, it could be several hundred. Where do I get those figures from? Uh, the chairman of the Climate Change Committee at a conference last week. Certainly, if it goes up to £30, it's going to have a dramatic effect. This price, this tax, is going to be really significant. We need guidance. We need to have some sort of, uh, some sort of indication. But the dust is still, unfortunately, settling. I'm sure that you're way ahead with your preparation. If you are full participants, you will have got your carbon reporting systems well in place. Your action planning will be a thing of the past because by now you should have a system which is working well. If you haven't yet got the early action metrics, I think there's still an argument for doing that. There's still time to do it.
Because if you manage to get the Carbon Trust standard between now and the 31st of March, you get full credit for that part of the early action metric. If you haven't got your voluntary AMRs in, there is still time to do that, but that works in a different way. Voluntary AMRs, the benefit you get from voluntary AMRs, is in proportion to the amount of this year's power that actually goes through them. So if you actually install them on the 31st of March, they'll give you no benefit whatsoever because that's the end of the year. And whatever goes through them next year doesn't count because it's called an early action metric, the clues in the title. So it's based on this year. But quite apart from looking at getting yourself up a performance league table, putting in AMRs, which allow you to look at your energy and get a better handle on it, going for the Carbon Trust Standard, which gives you procedures and a commitment to improving your energy efficiency, for both of those reasons, they're good things to do because they should help you save energy and they will therefore help you save on the tax. A typical AMR can give you details of the consumption to the nearest building or the nearest site to the nearest half an hour. Other systems, which I'd be delighted to talk to you about afterwards, can actually give you detail to the nearest circuit to the nearest minute. So you can identify who's actually got a, uh, an illicit kettle or who's got a fan or a heater hidden under their desk or who actually left the photocopier on all night. But that's another way of controlling your costs and your tax in this case. You still, as far as we know, will have to produce the footprint report by the 29th of July 2011. And as far as we know, you'll still have to produce an evidence pack which is the responsibility of a main board director and will have to be signed off at much the same time. Let's look again at the carbon reduction commitment because the question is, is all this going to be dismantled? Are they simply going to say, it's a tax? Are they going to forget about early action metrics or absolute metrics or growth metrics? Are they going to cut out evidence packs? Are they going to say, well, we just won't bother with it? I don't think so. Remember, the carbon reduction commitment was defined as a mandatory carbon reduction and energy efficiency scheme to change behaviour and infrastructure. Looking at that more closely, it's to change behaviour and infrastructure. Remember, the government is committed to reducing the nation's carbon footprint by 35% by 2020 and 50%, no, 80% by, by 2050. And it's not going to do it on its own. And that is why it's had to bring in something like this in order to get industry on side, to get industry reducing its carbon footprint. I don't think they're going to take the, these measures out. If anything, I think they're going to extend it. I think they're going to extend it to smaller organisations. I've spoken to people about extending it to the consumer level and of course the spectre of fuel poverty raises its head and makes it politically extremely difficult. But I feel that there will be developments and the spread will be wider. We'll all be encouraged, of course, to do those good things, reduce, reuse and recycle. But more than that, the most important thing I think we're going to have to do is re-engineer. To look at all our business models, to look at our lifestyles and to look at how we can actually survive, we can meet our expectations in a changing environment. An environment that is changing insofar as there will be pressure on 
fuel use, of course, to reduce the carbon footprint. There will be pressure <coughs> on food because of the growing global population and on resources and on energy. We are going to have to adapt to a completely new environment. Last week, or last month, the Treasury issued the National Infrastructure Plan 2010. And it, uh, um, significantly, that came out the week after the Comprehensive Spending Review. So whatever's in there has not been countermanded by the Comprehensive Spending Review. And it talks about spending twice as much on the en energy infrastructure in the UK in the next five years. It talks about the fact that infrastructure projects in this country, for some reason, cost 60% more than infrastructure pro uh, projects in, in Germany. So something like that is going to be addressed. It's quite interesting. I was at a, a conference last week where somebody from the public sector said, well, what we do is we set a budget. And then we look at the, uh, the contingency. So we add perhaps 50%, perhaps 60%, perhaps 100%, and that's the contingency. And we put that together and we call that the affordability envelope. And do you know that 99% of the projects come right up the top of the affordability envelope? So maybe there's not enough financial management, financial pressure there now, but we're certainly going to see it in light of the, the cuts and the, and the changes and the need to improve our infrastructure and to reduce our carbon footprint. Re-engineering. Now, I want to show you this model, and I know you can't read any of it, but the important bits are the three blobs. This is a time scale from 2010 to 2050 on each of these. That's the UK demand for energy, that's the UK supply of primary energy, and that's the greenhouse gas emissions. Back in July, Chris Hoon, who's the Secretary of State for Energy, gave an energy security report to Parliament. And at the same time, Department of Energy and Climate Change published this model. This model is business as usual. Now, what does it tell us? Well, this is where our energy demand comes from. That's transport, that's industry, that's heating and cooling, and that's lighting and appliances. That's where the major breakdown of energy use is, is found. And on the other hand, business as usual, the supply, most of this is natural gas, which is a bit worrying, given that the North Sea is running out. Although, of course, there's lots of gas around in places like Qatar, and we've got new terminals in Wales, so we can import it. And there's lots of gas in Russia, at the end of a very long pipeline. So that's natural gas. This is oil and petroleum. And that's agriculture, waste, and biomatter. The interesting thing is that, as far as business as usual is concerned, coal is disappearing, nuclear is disappearing, and renewables are nowhere. And the carbon footprint, well, it stays at about the same. Now, if we actually do things like flexing all these um, factors at the bottom here to do something which we think is achievable, then we can reduce the demand slightly, but we change the mix dramatically in that we bring in lots of nuclear and we start to increase, or rather to reduce, our greenhouse gas emissions. We are re-engineering the whole energy supply situation in order to achieve it. But that, in fact, is not enough. They say you've got to have this scenario, which is hard but deliverable, 
where you can see there is a dramatic increase and even greater increase in nuclear. There is, interestingly, quite a lot of coal, virtually no natural gas by 2050, which is probably better from our security point of view. The whole thing is changing dramatically. And if you want to go and look at that model and play with it for yourself, please, if I can have business cards, I will pass on the links for this and for other documents like the infrastructure plan and things like that. So we're talking about having to re-engineer our economy. It's part, it's part of a much wider agenda. It's part of the sustainability agenda. And I know we still meet people who say, well, this climate change, you know, you just could look out the window and you know it's not happening. But increasingly, those people are totally irrelevant. That debate is totally irrelevant because the government is committed to a low-carbon path. Major organisations, we've all heard of Plan A, Marks and Spencers is committed to a low-carbon and sustainable path. Marks and Spencers, the organisation which supplies 2.7 billion items a year, is analysing its supply chain in both directions to make it as sustainable and as low-carbon as it possibly can. That is a firm and long-term central business commitment. To the extent they were prepared last year to spend £40 million on that. But they found that by taking the steps to improve sustainability, they actually enhanced their profits by £50 million. So the whole idea of this as a business case, as, as a business um, activity, is endorsed. Balfour Beatty is a company I'm sure you've all heard of. It's a civil engineering company. One, one of its contracts is the management and maintenance of the M25. So it is big. It has a carbon footprint of 393,000 tonnes per annum globally. It has a commitment to reduce that by 50% by 2020. So major organisations are seeing sustainability as a key element in their business plans. And of course this is pushing down everybody's supply chain, affecting every organisation. PepsiCo. PepsiCo, from another point of view, sustainability, it's uh, really concerned from the agricultural point of view because, all right, Walker's Crisps is its biggest brand. Pepsi is another. Tropicana, Doritos, they're all food products. They're all based on agriculture. So they are totally concerned about what carbon emissions may do to climate change, what climate change will do to agriculture, what the population will do to the demand for food and the prices of it. Sustainability for every industry is key. And there's the Olympics. They have developed this stadium in a much more sustainable way than the one that, that was built in Beijing. 400,000 tonnes less of steel, apparently. And out of that is coming BS8901, which is the Sustainable Event Management Standard, which will become ISO 2012-1 in due course. But again, it's a method of pushing the sustainability pressure all the way down the supply chain. So I started off by saying CRC, make the best of it. And you may well think that I've moved quite a long way away from what I was here to be talking about. But the more work I do on this, the more I look into all the background, both on the industrial side, the commercial side, and the government side, my reaction is CRC, that's just the start. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's my thoughts. A lot of what's going to happen on CRC is just in the lap of the gods. 
but I'd be very interested in your ideas because after all this is a best practice exchange and I'm sure there's many more ideas with you than I have here. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Obviously I quickly agree that was a very wide-ranging uh, uh, talk on both the CRT and some of the wider implications. Do we have our first question? Richard? Um, yeah, this is a very, very basic one and you may well have covered it before I came in, unfortunately. I'm not an expert on the CRT, but I've been asked to ask you this by my colleagues who are. No pressure then. They just wanted to know, you know, is it basically now a straight tax and we're not getting any money back whatsoever? Or, um, that, that is the implication at the moment, yes. No recycling payments, no money coming back. Okay. So, yeah. Is there a follow up to that, Richard? Is that no. Okay. Sir? Uh, Rob Lawson from Public Financial. When you say TRT, that's just the start of it, do you mean that we're, there's going to be more taxes? Oh, well, yeah, I expect they probably will. <laughs> Um, well, what I meant was, talking about the CRC, is just the start of the whole environmental and sustainability agenda as it affects business. I mean, that's, that's what I meant there. But as far as CRC is concerned, I think there is likely to be an expansion. As I said, people have been talking for a long time about a consumer tax. So you'd have a stock of car carbon credits, which you would have to use to pay for your foreign travel and for your petrol and for your gas bills. And one of the arguments they made was that if you gave everybody an allowance, then people who wanted to go to the Caribbean for the winter would buy extra allowances for people who didn't want to go there. And it would be a progressive tax, if you like, because poorer people could sell their allowances. But, you know, it's, it's still five years off, and it was five years ago, as far as I know. Okay, revenue recycling uh, was dependent on the league table, but the league table was not dependent on re revenue recycling. The only thing that determined your position on the league table was in the first year what you'd achieved as far as early action metrics were concerned, and in subsequent years that and the growth and the absolute metrics. Um, and that, yes, and that affected your recycling payment. But now it's completely separate. If they keep it going, they, they'll simply look at your carbon footprint, which is directly proportional to your energy bill, and sell you allowances. I mean, I don't know why. They don't just sort of give you a special electricity and gas and oil tariff and put a surcharge on it. And they may do that, because there's things like the, um, the climate change levy, which is under review, and there's the climate change agreement, which is under review. So it's a really very messy situation. But to actually take out the, the performance league table, I think, would be to remove an incentive from people to make them more efficient. Paul now. Um, just a question on Northern Foods are involved in the climate change agreement, which is the climate change levy. And I'd just like to understand with you, my understanding is in March 2013, the climate change agreement stopped, and the third party CRC stopped. So we're getting Well, it makes sense to simplify it, doesn't it? 
Yes. So the cl let's let's see if I understand exactly. Yeah. Yes. 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 No, no. Now, if I'm correct, the climate change levy is a surcharge on commercial energy bills. The climate change agreement is um, a partial or total abatement of that levy to organisations which otherwise could not um, compete on international markets. Yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, there, is this, there is this issue about organisations which will say, if you are going to tax our energy... Um, to this extent, what about international competitiveness? So it, it's all it's all up in the air, isn't it? It really is. Yes, sir. Just going back to Body CRC and the buying in 2012. Yeah. Someone else has mentioned that we should maybe budget for a double purchase, in other words, the purchase of the previous and the next. Well, that was what the. Because the <laughs> I believe the text is so ambiguous at the moment that it doesn't say. If you go to the, the DEC website, no, not the DEC website, there's nothing, there's no change on the DEC website. If you actually go to the document, which I think is clause 64 of the Comprehensive Spending Review, there are about four sentences. So, you know, you can almost make it what believe, uh, mean what you want. To buy in advance and to buy retrospectively at the same time was the original plan for April 2011. And there was a lot of fuss and the government backed down very, very quickly. But that was a different government. So maybe we will see uh, uh, the requirement to buy two years' worth. Uh, if, if we've got to buy forward as well as buying backward, then that, um, uh, I suppose, that, that reinstates the safety valve and the open market and uh, brings in some uncertainty and all that sort of thing. But uh, I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows at the moment. That's the big problem. Um, it's my biggest fear is that with the scrapping of the revenue recycling, it's gone from sort of almost a boardroom issue where you might hope there would be some action to you know, continue to reduce um, um, carbon emissions to more of an issue now that's sorted should be back to the accountants to deal with as a tax problem. Um, and I'm not sure of the percentages, but it must be a, you know, a big chunk of the companies that are hit that are in that sort of five to six hundred thousand pounds a year. Mm. No, a tax of you know less than 50k is not necessarily a huge deal for them, and certainly perhaps not enough to incentivize any action. Have you got any feeling from sort of the work you're doing of what is the threshold at which people will start to do something about it? Because that mm. ultimately that's that's what we're trying to, what we're trying to achieve: reductions in, mm. in emissions through efficiency measures and what have you. And yes. Yes, yes. But it also depends, doesn't it, on the uh, energy intensity of the organisation. As you say, in some cases, the tax is relatively small and therefore it's not a broad issue. Of but course... We, we could miss a, a lot of, you know, otherwise um, incentivised activity that now just isn't going to happen. Exactly, exactly, yes. Right. 
Okay. You see, some some people have a hotline. <laughs> yes. Okay, you, is sixteen pounds a ton for twenty twelve yeah. or twelve pounds a ton at the moment? Yes. Would be uh, well, would fifty thousand a ton for carbon roundabout. So mm. that's six hundred thousand pounds. Mm. But under the CRC scheme before the CSR, then yeah. ten percent of that would be at risk. Yes, yes. So their prudent management, as they called it, they they put it a budget in of thirty thousand as a potential hit. Mm. Think it, I think that's um, a good point. I think it will. The strategy, when we were looking at these um, sensitivity or energy security models, one of the factors they were looking in there was decarbonising the transport fleet, moving towards electric vehicles. That was going to take quite a long time. The first priority is to decarbonise the electricity generation sector. But um, certainly bringing transport into the CRC would be a way of pushing people away from um, fossil fueled vehicles towards electric vehicles, but um, knowing the government, they'll probably do that before the electric vehicles are available. Yeah, that was, that was yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, there's, there's one other point that I'd, I'd like to, to, to mention, and that is the difference between the tax on revenue expenditure and capital expenditure. So if you've got an annual expenditure on electricity, for whatever purpose, you can make it as efficient as you can and minimise your tax. But I've been talking recently to Thames Water, and you may be aware of the Thames Tideway, which is two tunnels. One is uh, three miles long, the other is 20 miles long. They're sewage relief tunnels. They are absolutely enormous. They're the first major replacements for sewers since the 1850s. They are going to have to um, run a boring machine, which takes eight megawatts of electricity and it will run 24-7 for two years. So the electricity bill will go up enormously, and they will pay tax on all of that. Now, simplistically, you could say, we're going to tax energy because we want to push down the nation's carbon footprint, and therefore the more energy that people use, then the more they should pay. But that is very simplistic. If we've got a situation where people have to make capital investment in order to provide their existing services more effectively, and in some cases make capital investment so that they can reduce their energy footprint. I think something's got to be done about taxing people who actually do that sort of thing. Just a thought.
I think someone's going to have to think about it, don't you? Yes, yes, yes. All right, go on. <laughs> um, it's been said that the CRC is going to hit, I think even in its old form, it's going to hit uh, that sort of medium level of, com of energy intensity of companies harder than people who come under the EU emissions trading scheme. Um, do you think that's... I've certainly heard that. I've certainly heard that. I think it's probably inevitable. Um, but again, it's, it's one of these things that hasn't been thought through. I mean, the whole the whole change to the uh, the system hasn't been thought through beyond the fact that suddenly they could find a billion pounds from somewhere. But whether, in fact, the government is going to be sympathetic and say, "Oh dear, yes, you are being discriminated against," um, uh, and uh, you know it's disproportionate to your scale of operations, I don't know. I think in the present environment, they will resist any uh, any arguments for reducing taxes, even though they may be well founded. Unfortunately. Well, it would make sense, wouldn't it? It would make a certain amount of sense, although the thing about the CRC is that it does demand the disciplines. Even if you choose not to go for AMRs and you choose not to go for the Carbon Trust Standard, if you've got to actually monitor your carbon footprint and you've got to monitor your energy and you've got to produce an evidence pack, that's information there which can help you use it more efficiently. And if you waste that, 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 that data, well, uh, so much the worse. But I think it will, for a lot of people, incentivise them. So if we wiped it out altogether, uh, I, I think that would be a backward step. Well, it might be, but I do think that if it goes up that fast, that quickly, then people, uh, organisations operating on an international scale will protest that it's anti-competitive. It depends whether, of course, that level goes up in the rest of Europe and in our, in our markets. Uh, it's, it's a dilemma. You'll have to turn the street lights off at night. Not outside my window, but still. <laughs> Well, I think it should increase the incentive, but as we said earlier, it does depend on how significant the electricity bill is as part of the company's overall operations. If it's an energy-intensive organisation, it is seriously going to, I think, incentivise them to, to see what they can possibly do to use it more efficiently. For a service company which is running offices and which is using electricity for lights and possibly not even for heating because they use gas, 
then you know, doubling your electricity bill is not a significant part of your overheads. So um, it's going to be the major energy users, I think, that will be affected ma mainly by this. Yes, you do. Good point. Good point. Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah. Mm. When do you, um, my understanding is about three, just over 3,000 companies invested in solar power systems, which is slightly lower than the uh, 5,000 or so. It's a lot lower, actually, yes. Um, when do you envisage that the, uh, the CRC scheme will apply to those many organisations that may information disclosures to the environment agency, the environment agency has all that uh, data, it would, uh, to my mind, be an easy thing to do to apply, apply the tax to um, the new CRC scheme, I think they call it the tax on those yeah. uh, scheme to, to those organisations. When do you, when do you really, well, I think being totally pragmatic, the environment agency or whoever ends up responsible for this scheme will see what happens after a year. It was a struggle to get the registration process completed in time. I, I think it may well be a struggle to actually get the, the, the tax in place. So I don't think they would really want to bring the other, what is it, 13,000 or something? I don't think they want to bring them in because it's, it's under, under 3,000 full participants. But I think you're absolutely right that they will get pulled in. I think they'll have to. I think, well, I mean, if, if the government is serious about sustainability and uh, its carbon targets, this has got to happen. It, it can't afford not to, uh, uh, not, not to, uh, to toe the line, to hold people responsible. I think that anybody who should have registered under the present rules and hasn't done may not be pursued for the moment because while everything is up in the air and until we get a firm steer on exactly what the future is, then uh, maybe they, they, they won't pursue them. But in due course, if it's, a if it's a scheme, if it's like any other tax, then it'll be enforced like any other tax. So is your feeling that the performance league table will just disappear? Well, the performance league table, <coughs> I think, will be important to very big blue chip corporates who can say, look, we've got the common disclosure process, the Dow Jones Index, we've got the ITC goal, whatever, whatever. So for our, our reputation, it's quite useful for the real big blue chips. For service industries, so something like PwC against the legal firms, look, are we being the good boys? Preferably the Alice Franco. Yeah. Yeah, I think the league table will disappear, yeah. mm. personally. Mm. And, you know, you know uh, 
supermarkets will compete with one another to be, you know, the, the best yeah. anyway. Which is, you know, they already do that anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't think so, no, because the... Oh, that's right, yes. 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 Well, thank you all. Sorry, I was, I was going to say thank you all for your contributions. And if you want links to that, that <laughs> model and the documents and so on, if you let me have your business cards, then I will make sure I pass that on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Good. Oh. <sighs> I don't know what the carbon footprint of this place is, but it's bloody hot in here, isn't it? I've just turned this radiator off. It's dreadful. Yes, thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, of course. I was just turning this off.